Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. I'm afraid I have got some bad news for you right off the bat here in the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Well, it's bad news for myself and Ken here. Yeah. It may be very good news for you, the listener, because sports journalists may be a thing of the past if the great baseball player Derek Jeter has his way. Jeter, okay, is retired from the game after more than 20 years in the New York Yankees, and for his next career... He wants to change the landscape of sports media. This is a guy who uh, is quite revered in New York and in American life, although not necessarily by journalists, not a, not a great quotes man generally. He says, I realise I've been guarded. I learned early on in New York, the toughest media environment in sports, that just because a reporter asks you a question doesn't mean you have to answer. So I'm in the process of building a place where athletes have the tools they need to share what they really think and feel. We want to have, to, we want to have a way to connect directly with our fans Hear the three words I don't like the sound of it all, Ken. Mm. With no filter. <laughs> I mean, the filter is the sports media. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, at last, at last, the honesty, the unvarnished, searing honesty uh, that the, all the fans have been waiting for from Derek Jeter. Uh, I have to say I'm pretty skeptical. Now, obviously, my, my skepticism sounds as though it's self-interested. I don't want to be out of a job. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I hear this guy... Saying you know he's gonna he, he's essentially gonna strip away the um, he's gonna cut away the red tape that represented by the sports media, and um, it gets my haggles up you know and I want to I obviously want to find fault and we, you know we all want to circle the wagons and bring this guy down now because of course, of, of course. because right, of what he's doing but like let's point out a couple of things about Derek Jeter this is a man who's never said anything interesting in his whole life um, he he says that now he's going to start doing that uh, but it seems to me that. The problem that that these guys, I mean, he's saying that, you know, you know the quote that you read out there, he's saying, I've, I've been guarded, you know, because it's a testing environment, sports media. In, in other words, you can't trust these people. You can't trust these uh, uh, these journalists that come up, you say something to them, suddenly they'll twist your words, you'll end up, uh, you'll, you'll pick up the New York Post and you're saying all kinds of things that you never actually said, being misrepresented. Uh, and I just didn't have time for that. <clears throat> but in fact, the truth is that the reason 
somebody like Derek Jeter never says anything interesting is because it's not it, the, the biggest constraint on him ever saying anything interesting is not the media will twist my words. It's what will my sponsors think? Right. Uh, this is a man who um, who endorses a ridiculous uh, array of products. Nike, Gatorade, Fleet Bank, Ford, Visa, Discover Card, Floresheim, Gillette, Skippy, XM, Satellite Radio. He's got his own cologne. He's got his own shoe um, and so on and so forth. Um, ranked his most marketable player in baseball uh, three times by Sports Business Survey. What do you notice about all the most marketable athletes in that um, in that phrase? The most marketable athletes are always the least controversial athletes. You know, they can't say, you literally are so compromised by all the money that you're earning that you can't say anything. You know, you might, look what happened to Tiger Woods the first time, you know, he was revealed to have done something <laughs> slightly interesting in his life. <laughs> his, income, his income shriveled away. You know, I mean, I think about all of these, uh, all of the sort of top most marketable. I mean, Neymar, for instance. Lance you know, Armstrong, he just wanted to get ahead. He just, wanted, he just showed <laughs> the burning ambition that got him all those contracts in the first place. Uh, and ultimately, yeah, the sponsors didn't like the fact that he cheated more than anybody else. No, I mean, they, 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 they abandoned him. You know, once it turned out there was, there was more, there was a bit more to Lance than met the eye. <laughs> you know, that's the last thing, that's the last thing a sponsor wants. I mean, it seems to me Derek Jeter is, 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 a, is a high net worth individual, a high income individual. When he talks about connecting with fans, what he's talking about is getting money from fans. Uh, removing the uh, the barrier, uh, the the media, which which somehow siphons away some of that money, and getting that money directly. I mean, I don't think you're going to necessarily hear anything anything more. I mean, it may even be more uh, controlled by uh, corporate sponsorship, without any sort of um, prism of media to pass it through, which isn't. I mean, I'm saying the media is not corporate and and also constrained to a certain extent by sponsorship. Look at what's been happening with ESPN and all that kind of stuff. You know, with their um, NFL links, you know, you can't necessarily call the the um, uh, NFL commissioner a liar and, and so on and or so Bill forth and, and expect ESPN to take that lying down. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think there is the, 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 the what Jeter is talking about is essentially an ad platform. That's what it is. So um, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's the future of sports media. To me, it just sounds like a, another uh, branch of the sports media, which happens to be owned by. Derek Jeter. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the bit more background on Jeter is that, uh, and why we're talking about him today. We will mention that, I think, to Brian, that aspect of it. But he's been on essentially a season long victory lap or lap of honour. He's one of the most decorated players in history, albeit most of his success happened early in his career in terms of actually winning the world, a bunch of World Series for the Yankees. But he's been around there for 20 odd, odd years. Maybe there's a, a Ryan Giggs comparison in a few ways and uh, he's he finished up at the Boston Red Sox last week's last ever game got a hit maybe got two hits certainly got one and uh, was fated by the Red Sox fans which is insane it's like Roy Ke- he was absolutely love bombed by them it's like Roy Keane finishing his career at Anfield scoring a goal and the Liverpool supporters chanting him and partly chairing him off the field. That's how I think he did finish his career at Anfield with his Manchester United career. Uh, although he limped off with a broken foot, uh, getting pelters from the crowd. <laughs> so, so it wasn't quite as uh, as respectful of farewell. One of the greatest defenders of all time in hurling will tell us what it's like to be mixed up in this kind of action in All Ireland final day. Back out as far as Seamus Kalman and Kalman blocked down. Has a go again. Another block down. Brilliantly done once again. Jackie Tyrrell in the thick of all of that. Likewise, JJ Delaney and John O'Dwyer for Tipperary. Who's got to come up with it? It's Jackie. All the way down. 
Jared, whoever scores out of this passage of play is going to be huge for the game. John Parr maybe, and John Parr has scored! Yeah, Michael Dagdon called it at the time and he was bang on. Jackie Tyrrell played a starring role in that exchange and it did help them win the All-Ireland. In fact, it was Jackie Tyrrell's eighth All-Ireland medal. You were impressed, Ken. We were having a look at this earlier, this specific passage of play. Jackie Tyrrell definitely had the battle fever on Owen in the phrase beloved of Jock Wallace, the old Rangers manager. Um, yeah, pretty tenacious stuff from him. Uh, we're going to talk about a bit about that, but also about the criticism that <laughs> the Kilkenny players definitely seem to have felt. I watched the Sky coverage last night, hadn't seen it uh, until last night. And at the same time as Richie Power was having a go at the critics on RTE, uh, I think it was Owen Larkin was having a go at the critics on Sky, and Brian Cody had already had a go at the critics and did so again later on. So there, it was definitely a theme. I don't think it was just suddenly one player decided that, hang on, somebody said something about us. It was, it was used as fuel and seemed to, I don't know if it was genuine or if it's just something that a team of this stature have to cling on to, this whole idea that, look, we need another 1%, 2%, so let's find something that somebody said. Uh, it could be more than that. We'll chat to Jackie Terrell about that. I know he's about to hop on a flight. Um, so we'll grab him from the airport before he heads off. And Leinster and Munster seasons begin this weekend. All right, officially they've played a few matches, largely uninspiring, in particular for Munster, who've been playing in front of, I don't, I don't say this if you are one of the supporters there, but they've looked like fairly lethargic crowds for the first few games of the season, which is um, probably understandable given the the quality on display. But it should be a big occasion, the good atmosphere at the Aviva tomorrow, and we've Shane Horgan and David Wallace on to chat about that. Delighted now, though, to be joined by Jackie Tyrrell, who last Saturday won his eighth All-Ireland title. Jackie, congratulations, first of all. We're at Thursday morning now. Has life got back to normal yet? Uh, not really, no. No, it's been a, it's been a fairly, few crazy few days now. Um, between uh, going home, coming out in Kilkenny, and then going out to Leicester Wings Club in Clara. We've had away a few days now, but it's continuing on now. And just heading off to New York there for a few days now with the GA and the GPA. So it's, it's been fairly crazy. Yeah, uh, a well-deserved break at this stage. I saw at the uh, around the full-time whistle the cameras caught you. I think you were sort of on the ground, almost arm-in-arm arm with JJ Delaney at full-time. Uh, are those the moments that immediately after the game that stick out more than the, the games themselves? Because the, the matches are so fast. Yeah, it's, 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 they, they are the precious moments. And so they're, they're caught on camera and on, on newspaper articles and things like that. So, um, you know, everyone kind of sees them. That. And the game is so fast and, you know, there's such a high level of concentration. You don't really... Appreciate, but then when the final whistle goes, it's, you know, Atten just goes, and you just kind of lose yourself for for you know a couple of minutes, and it's just it's just unbelievable. It's just so much emotion comes out, and every you put into everything you put into it for the year, um, you know, you just really just save it for for those couple of minutes. There was a passage of play. Uh, I had a look back again at around forty nine minutes when you were involved. Now I counted it as five times in twenty two seconds, Jackie. You break a high ball away from John O'Dwyer. You strip it from Bonnermar. Breaks a Callan. You make that full length uh, head on block. You then compete on the ground with I think it was Noel McGrath. The ball breaks. Your own teammate Richie Hogan, and you manage to rip it out of his hand before sending it forward to John Power for a point. I mean, is that the sort of dream scenario for you to just to be as involved as that on All Ireland final day? Yeah, it really is. I suppose that, that passage of play, like, for a back is, is kind of like almost going a goal in the last minutes of winning all Ireland. You know, it's just turning them over. They turn us over. We turn them over again and it happened three or four. And like, those, like, all Ireland's are actually swung on those, those moments. And that momentum really shifted them when we stopped them two or three times. Uh, got the ball back up. John Power won it over the bar. Like, just huge, huge psychological. I suppose for Tipperary, we're, they threw everything out the first day um, and still couldn't beat us and then on the second day they're still at it again and still were stopping and stopping them for them to say, I'm sure in the back of their heads were like what have we to do to beat these guys so 
you know, those are moments that, you know, uh, it was highlighted the actual passage of play a good few times. But that was kind of the, the siege mentality. It was back to the wall. It was everyone backing each other up. Um, you know, and it didn't matter whether you were corner back or corner forward. You just got the hooks or the box or got the body in somehow. And it was just, it was, it was unbelievable. Were you, I mean, the, the, the players and management have talked a lot, uh, particularly the day or two afterwards about the proving the critics wrong and all this kind of thing. Were you genuinely stung by criticism or... Well, uh, even speaking you, you yourself, Jackie, were, were you? Did you feel like the team had been criticised too much, or were you just grasping for something to motivate you to get that extra couple of percent? Um, I suppose some of the criticism I didn't actually hear until afterwards. Um, but I suppose the thing about us is, is you know, people talk about us the greatest team ever and this, that, and the other, and what we've done, which every single get criticised. I suppose everyone is, is, you know, people are just doing their jobs and that, but. You know, I suppose some of the some of the criticism uh, was a bit of OTT for what we've what we've done for the game, what we've put into it, the achievements we've had. Um, you know, and it, I suppose it, 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 it's just hard to realise why people do that. I don't know if it's a jealousy thing on, on some people that you know they just want to knock us or that. But it's just it's mind-boggling sometimes. What was the OTT stuff? What, what was being said that you didn't like? I suppose it was, it was called the ballers, you know, it's called the training ballers, you know, so like things like that, um, you know, you just go like, why, why would lads say things like that? Um, you know, not nice stuff to be written about people, I know they have a job to do on that, um, but like things like that, don't, you know, it, like it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, no, I hadn't heard that one, Jackie, I could kind of see why that might be yeah. a little bit, and it's funny because you, you don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not claiming to know you especially well, but you don't strike me as the kind of person who'd be too worried about the criticism generally but maybe maybe when it's when it's uh, that specific to you it does get to you yeah it's morbid like you know I suppose the, when it's kind of specific um, you know and that comment was made um, back in the Wars Cup final in January you know when you know, you're obviously not going to be at your optimum um, and to make a judgement on a guy that early in the year um, it, it's very harsh um, and no it wouldn't really bother me I've been criticised you know since probably it was minor I was told I was too slow at four feet um, that you know, I just was never going to make it. Didn't really bother me, but when 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 you when you've done it time and time again, um, and someone comes out with a comment like that, you're just like, you know, is this that for real? What planet is he on? Yeah, I mean, it's almost so ludicrous. Uh, uh, that is one of the the the, stre- the threads of analysis, though. You do often hear, well, you know, will the Kilkenny defence, will the full back line have the legs for whatever you know, insert team here? It could be Clare, it could be Tipperary, or, or whatever. I mean, does that tie into this idea last year that hurling had changed so much and and Kilkenny? You know, might be left behind a little bit because that seemed to be uh, seemed to be a definite analysis at the end of last season. Yeah, it was, and the way the game has gone, and the, the, the movement Clare brought, and the kind of freshness, and the young guys, and, and absolutely, like you could see, you know, people were thinking, God, would this get Kenny back with, with the with the age profile and the mileage on him? Uh, would he be able to? And that, and that and that question is, you know, that's fine to be asked. Um, you know, the way the game has gone and changed like that, but um, you know, I suppose that that's just part and parcel of it, really. Um, but you know those kind of things wouldn't bother me. Did you feel that your that the team spirit was questioned because that has been said a few times? I hadn't realised that that was necessarily the case, but uh, that seems to be a complaint. Yeah, it was, and, and that came from within our own county as well, um, which is kind of you know re- really hits home. Like I suppose if someone threw a castaway comment like that from somewhere else in the country, you, you know you, you wouldn't really read a lot into it. Um, but when guys in your own county are questioning your spirit, you know that that's a real that's a real pop at yourselves as well, and. You know, it feeds back into the point that I was making. Like, you know, what what have we to do for for people to actually sit up and take notice that God, this is a great team, and you know, they probably probably don't get the, the just awards that they are. And for people to say the greatest team in ever to come out of the GA, 
and then question things like spirit and things like that. It doesn't just doesn't add up and, and doesn't sit right, really. Yeah, well, all you can do is show them your Ireland, I guess, Jackie. But the uh, the Kilkenny full back line has confirmed its reputation now. I think is the best in the business anyway. I do feel it's missing something important. I know you're a big NFL fan, and the uh, the great defensive lines historically have these intimidating nicknames. You know, the Purple People Eaters or the the New York Sack Exchange or something like that. The, the Legion of Boom with the Seahawks last year. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Would you like us now? We don't have to, but would you like us to put it out on Twitter and try and get you guys a nickname? Do, 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 yeah. I know JJ and more from the boys would love that. All right, yeah, yeah. See what, see what you can come up we'll with. See, yeah, I can't guarantee anything, so uh, if it doesn't <laughs> go well, I won't come back to you on it. But listen, Jackie, you're at the airport there, so we'll let you fly on to New York and enjoy the trip and congratulations again. Great, great to talk to you on. All right, all the best. All right, brilliant. We've been given the nod by Jackie Tyrrell. Send your tweets in with intimidating nicknames for the Kilkenny full back line. We did get a very enthusiastic response when we did this for the Donegal defence after they beat Dublin, although the quality may have been lacking in almost all of the suggestions we received. I did like, I'm going to give an honourable exception here to the McGeegan of Doom, based on the McGee brothers there, which is a little bit like the one that Jackie just mentioned, actually. But you can tweet us at Second Captains if you have anything you, you want to say about that. It seems like the criticism they received, Ken, yeah. um, genuinely, well, in Jackie's case, and I, I'm, I, I'm happy that he talked specifics there, he didn't like being called... The reason Kilkenny won the All-Ireland this year is that Jackie Tyrrell was called a bollard in January. Was he called a bollard, though? I dispute that he was called a bollard because this comes from uh, Dennis Walsh writing in the Sunday Times and it would have been uh, when? Back Walsh in... Walsh Cup time, January, that's what... Yeah, no, so, okay, so he's talking about... Um, da, 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 da. He says, the big selection calls will come later. JJ Delaney was cleaned out at fullback in a couple of games last summer. He says, Brian Hogan endured his worst season at number six. He says, Tommy Walsh has only been hitting his old average in spots for the last two seasons. I mean, this is all harsh but fair sounding to me. I haven't seen any of the games, but I assume, you know, I trust Dennis Walsh. I'm a believer in sports journalism. Henry Shefflin looked drained last summer by the repeated cycle of long-term injury and grinding rehab. Others, question mark. At one stage in the Walsh Cup final, Mark Shidde ran around Tyrrell as if he were a bollard. <laughs> as if he was a bollard, sorry, I should say. As if he was a bollard. He's saying... Well, that is a... Yeah, I think... He's saying he see, ran around... He I ran around him. saying here. He's saying he ran around him. So he, he's not saying Jackie Tyrrell is a bollard. Mm. Jackie, Jackie Tyrrell reminds me of a bollard. That's not what he's saying. He's saying in this one instance, uh, the guy ran past him a little bit too easy. We, I, I said something quite similar about Stephen Gerrard the other, the other day. I don't know if Stephen Gerrard's Unlike, listening to I'm it. A lot more likely that all of those Kilkenny players read that Dennis Walsh article and it's, would feel sure. that in the context of GA criticism, that is pretty singing stuff. Is it? And, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, to, it's talking quite... And I, I don't like using the phrase personal because it's not personal. He's talking about their game. It's not as though he's talking about people's, uh, people's lives outside the sport. That's where I think it is a little bit mixed up sometimes, whether something's personal or not. But in terms of, and I did, I alluded to it there with Jackie, the, there is, this theme has run through, he says his entire career. Yeah. It's like, oof, does Jackie have the legs? You know, Jackie and JJ, especially later on in the careers, which, you know, once there's a fast, once you run at them, yeah. once you run at these guys, that said a lot. So, so it's I'd a say bit they're, like they're uh, already going past se- the Bollard. Yeah, they're already sensitive to it probably. So when Jackie hears a phrase like Bollard, it sticks in his head somewhat. I mean, I'm not saying that Dennis Walsh is unreasonable, but it... Uh, it, de- it you got to use an image, though. I mean, Dennis Walsh... I mean, okay, we, the facts are, Mark, Mark should have got past Jackie Tyrrell. Yeah. I mean, you could write, as, a, as it's... You could write, Mark should have got past Jackie Tyrrell a bit too easily. As though he were a... Scarecrow? <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, you know, as though he were a, a dolman, a cairn. I don't know. You want to use a rustic image like that? It doesn't really work. I mean, a bollard, it's got a nice rhythm in the sentence. You know, it's it's something that everybody can recognize. It's it's a, it's an image. It's a, it's a heavy, concrete thing which stays in one place. It gets the point across, and it inspires. It's a little Jackie bit, Terrell to another a, great season. Exactly. So it's a partnership. It's almost mm. Dennis Walsh and Jackie. They should. I, they should mint a medal for Dennis Walsh. You know, because this is the grist to the mill. These are the the pearls that the Kilkenny team produces. The, if the pearl is the All Ireland, then Dennis Walsh writing. As if he were, as if he was a bollard. Remember, and, and it was as if he was a bollard. He's not saying he was a bollard. Is the is the little piece of grit that lodges in the sensitive inner lining of the of the oyster, and is <laughs> and is uh, covered by layer and layer of, of resentment, bitterness, anger, uh, until eventually you get a another all Ireland final victory. Further proof, Ken, as if it were needed that, as we mentioned earlier in the show, sports journalists are necessary for sportsmen. Absolutely, Derek Jeter, if you're listening. This yeah. is why you need sports journalists. I, I, I want Dennis Walsh to start slamming some Tipperary players, you know, some Waterford players, some, uh, you know, players from other hurling counties. Mm. And, uh, and let's see if we can... Slam them all equally. If we can, uh, if we can start getting some variation here. Uh, Leinster have had a reasonably uninspiring start to the season. Munsters have been a whole lot worse than that, though. But the two of them have a chance to kickstart things at the Aviva tomorrow night. Shane Horgan and David Wallace are with us. Shane, a lot of columnists this week, it's been spoken about quite a bit, that... This fixture has lost a bit of its sparkle in the last little while. Do you buy into that? Um, I think there's some danger of that potentially happening. Um, I think there is always uh, there's a potential for a bit of complacency to to uh, set in um, around a fixture like this. And I don't mean complacency with the players. Uh, I mean almost uh, more so with the supporters. Um, the games haven't the quality of the games haven't been as good, and that is a concern. But um, and there also hasn't been. The although the games have been competitive, the results have been quite one-sided um, for Leinster in Leinster's home games uh, recently, and that that potentially can lead to complacency, saying, "Well, we don't, you know, supporters don't need to go to the game because you know this it's another Leinster win." And I think you know there is a concern with that. There's been a drop of quality over the last couple of um, games. Definitely, I think both sides haven't played as well. Um, they've been very physical, you know. They've been committed, but there hasn't been the quality that there had been in some of the previous years. David, do you think so? Uh, would you agree with that? And if so, why has the quality dropped a bit? Well, yeah. I mean, I think if if the quality hasn't been great in in, in Leinster, I think we'd be more concerned in, in Munster not winning games at all in Zoman Park. But um, look, I think I think it's it's been a slow start for Munster, and and, and they'll certainly agree to that. But this fixture, I think offers both sides a massive chance, you know, to build on, on confidence and get a, a massive confidence uh, shot in the arm going into, you know, what's, what's two weeks out is, is the new European campaign. Um, perhaps from, from supporters and, uh, you know, people people looking at the game, you know, middling results and saying, well, maybe it's not the battle of the two giants that it was, but I still think it is. I think that this this weekend, this game is massive for both teams and, and I think the winner, and even, even you know, I think a close game and, and a good result even for the loser, it would probably um, do enough to, to build um, a bit of confidence, but I don't think teams would be looking at it going into that. Well, yeah, it's interesting that uh, David says there, Shane, that maybe, you know, even a, a narrow defeat might be might be the end of the world, for particularly for Munster in this case. Um, I sp- they have lost in the Aviva Stadium quite a few times now to Leinster, and generally... 
suppose it is seen as tolerable. You're playing against one of the best teams in Europe and you're away from home and all those things. But is there an added pressure this time, given the slow start that they've had? Do they really need to come away with a victory to galvanise them, do you think? Well, I think I think for both teams, this game is, in some ways, it's it's really positive. It's really important. And the, the things that David touched on there are correct, that you can get a game, you can get your season started. But I think in recent years, and um, because it's such a key game, it's there's been there's been so much emphasis on getting a result in this game, and then the team that gets the result, or even if there's been a good performance and you have a big physical night, then it sort of glosses over a lot of the issues that are there with both of the teams. So you know, it it it's no longer it used to be the case, but yeah, there's a slow burn into the season. Leinster and Munster kill each other a couple of weeks out before Europe and then they're fired up and they're ready to go in Europe because of the quality of the size, the quality of the game. I think both coaches have to be a little bit weary. Neither side are in the same position as they were were a number of years ago when they were the best sides in Europe. Um, So, you know, a victory for one or the other doesn't necessarily mean you're in perfect shape and you're ready to go for the rest of the season. I saw you being asked, David, in the media today uh, about the the email issue from from a few weeks back. I guess that's the kind of thing that maybe would be buried by now if the the performances had been there. But as long as it's not happening, this is going to keep getting brought up. Do you think? I don't know. I can nearly argue the other way as well. I think the performances have kind of taken over and and overshadowed that right. that whole um, email debacle. I think. I don't think it's an issue anymore. It's long since an issue. I think even probably by the time it came to light in the media, you know, it was a week old in in the squad sense. Um, look, it's not ideal. I'm sure there was probably one or two guys um, who, who weren't happy, but you know, it, in some ways, it may have, may, may have benefited the the squad in, in airing the the dirty laundry or whatever it was. And you know, and, and fellas know where where they stood um, in no uncertain terms, but. Um, I don't think they'd be doing it again, but I think, you know, the, it wasn't all bad. But um, I think from a Munster perspective, I think it's certainly it's it's maybe just the errors, the error rates and, 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 and what the individual errors that, that seem to be happening in games that that need to be looked at and need to be take, uh, taken responsibility for by, by the players. I mean, it's it's a very difficult thing for, for coaching staff to, to implement game plans or, you know, to, to develop a style when... Um, take for argument, take the the second half of um, of the uh, Ospreys game last weekend, where you know we had a strong breeze behind us, and and yet we we couldn't really play outside of our, our own half, um, because you know any time we tried to put something together, we either give away a penalty or you know um, it was a loose kick or it was you know it was a turnover at the breakdown, um, and it just it just puts an amount of pressure back on on the team. Um, so I think for the coaching staff, yeah, it, it's been a difficult, difficult start. I think they they generally are because you know players are learning new plays and moves and and have different things on their minds and you know just the the maybe the intensity and the aggression and and the the physicality they're going to bring to a game where everything else is kind of I suppose it has become habitual um, and they're actually thinking about plays and and you know you know where where, where am I standing or you know what what is this play and, and rather than, than, than yeah rather than just being sort of an, an unconscious thing I suppose but, but yeah, so I think that comes with time with with new coaching staff and 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 obviously as I said you know with the injuries and and the the high profile injuries and the um, the returning of the international guys as well that does add a little bit of upheaval especially when maybe you know, strength and depth isn't as strong in, in Munster. 
What do you think, Shane? Uh, th- does that that whole story that that uh, little bit of a uh, little bit of a whatever you might call it earlier on in the season um, with the email being made public? W- does that still have an effect at this stage of the year? Um, it's hard to know. It's hard to know um, the effect it has on the squad unless you're in there. The standing of of those squad members, you know, if they were senior players and uh, they had, um, you know, the remarks were made about them, how does that affect the dynamic of the group? How does it affect how they're perceived within um, the, the group dynamic, the team dynamic? Uh, and the the squad dynamics. So there there could be concerns there. There could be long lasting effects from that. You don't know. As David said, the, you know, there's a certain amount of at least it's out there and everybody knows on it now. But that can be a positive thing to squads as well. Um, I think from you know if you're looking at it from a sort of coaching perspective, yeah, it wasn't a smart move to com- to, to commit um, those sort of comments to paper. But at least they're aware of deficiencies in players they know what areas have to be worked on um it's sort of interesting when you hear you know coaches come out after matches and you know defending their players staunchly to a question you you know they ask a question about an individual player and it seems as if um you know it's it's a it's a terrible off the mark question um it's going to be harder now for their co- for coaches to to to, to say that to journalists because they've they've already pointed out deficiencies in their own players, and so they have to accept that there is there is issues with with some of them, and and they have those issues have to be worked on. What about Leinster, Shane, where they're at at the moment? Gordon Darcy tried out at number thirteen last weekend. He he, he spoke about having to replace Brian O'Driscoll and compared it to Brendan Rodgers trying to replace Suarez at Liverpool, and that hasn't gone particularly well for Suarez. Is, it, is this the first time that really Leinster as a club have had to even think about this, really? They had O'Driscoll, they had Darcy for basically their entire professional lives, and now they're actually having to think their way through it. It is, and it's hard to plan. In, you know, It's hard to plan when you t- uh, still have those two guys in situ, or you had them in situ, because they were so good, you just didn't need to do it, and it was... They were there for so long. It's it's um, it's hard to to see the team without it. Now that invariably happens. Um, it's funny. I was I was talking to um, uh, about Brian O'Driscoll recently in an interview, and saying he, he's had a, a really amazing effect on um, the the thirteen jersey or, or the thirteen position in Ireland. You've got a whole generation of kids that really want to play 13, think it's a glamorous position, which it is, although for me it's the most difficult position on the park. Um, So you have a whole generation of really young kids wanting to be backs and wanting to be 13s. But in between that, you've got a massive um, deficit of 13s that – of this generation, because everybody sort of realised with with Darcy and O'Driscoll there, they said, well, there's really little or no point in me trying to take on uh, guys in that position. So they've found different positions for themselves. And Luke Fitzgerald's a perfect example of that. Fergus McFadden's another example of it. Um, Guys who who would have been traditional centres. And I suppose um, Andrew Trimble is someone, you know, guys who wanted to play centre but realised maybe it's not the smartest career move for them to, to play in that position. Uh, David, it is an interesting dynamic there. Do you fancy Lencer to find a way here? I do. I do, to be honest. I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, I think Lencer always seemed to have a conveyor belt of, of talent and young young talent coming through. Now there's obviously a, a, bit, of a bit of a window of opportunity. Um, I think Darius is probably probably the man, one of the men tipped for, for that position. And uh, When you look at his physical attributes and the way he plays the game, I think... He probably has a lot of similarities with Brian, um, and and you know, 
perhaps would have been at the 13 position if Brian hadn't been there um, for all those years. And so I, I think in terms of his transition, it might be an easier one for him. But um, I suppose when you when you also look at the the national um, the national spot that, that needs to be filled there, that there seems to be a whole raft of of guys up north as well who who could come in and and fall into into that position. What about that, Shane? Do you think Darcy th- this could even be his natural position? He's just been kept out of it for his entire career by this. <laughs> I think his natural position is, has been proven now to be twelve. I think uh, uh, the best thing about um, Gordon Darcy when you were playing with him, you just knew that. If uh, if your ten got poor ball, if your forwards provide a poor ball for you, um, you the ten would never have to take into contact. You just have to ship it off to Gordon, and he always made that couple of yards of space. You know, like he had really good footwork. He generally get into a into a gap between the two defenders, and then he was very very strong um, at meters on contact. So when he went into contact, he didn't die. He, he never dies. He, he keeps on pumping his legs and get those extra yards. So um, I think twelve is a very good fit for him it's not impossible for him to play the 13 I think it's a very different skill set um, and remember it's not just about him slotting in and playing 13 it's about them losing him as a 12 and also losing the partnership of himself and O'Driscoll at 12-13 so there is you know I've, I've no doubt that uh, Gordon Darcy has the skill set to play 13 um, but it's not going to be as easy as him coming in and, and just replacing Brian O'Driscoll because um, there's there's more moving parts to it also you know, there may be a, an, another school of thought to, to say is it the smartest move to move Gordon out of 12 um, uh, it's not a again it's not a no matter how long Gordon uh, decides to continue on his, with his career it's not a long term solution for him to play 13 for Leinster or Ireland um, somebody has to stand up and put their hand up and, and try and um, take the position both at, at uh, Leinster and at Ireland um, and maybe they would benefit um, more they would benefit more from, from playing with Gordon at 12 Shane who's going to win it? You know, it's it's again, it's a hard to tell. Um, I think neither side have been particularly uh, impressive this year. Um, consistency for Leinster is a real issue. Uh, you know, I've seen spurts of them playing well, but you never got the feeling that they could put a lot of games together. Um, this is uh, for Munster. It's actually probably it's a it's yeah, it is a key game, but also it's a it's a game where Foley's had enough time now with pre-season and um, a number of um, uh, Pro 12 games to actually get a decent performance. So, th- you know, I think the, the gap that would have looked a little bit um, wider a couple of weeks ago may have narrowed in the, uh, in the interim, but I'd still suggest that Leinster uh, would just have enough to beat them at home. Okay, lads, brilliant. Shane and David, thanks a million. Here's thanks. Up. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Just to give that full Gordon Darcy quote, Ken. 
I mentioned it there. Um, the Suarez comparison, he says this is in terms of trying to replace Brian O'Driscoll at number 13. In Darcy's case, he actually played there himself last weekend. We're not trying to replace the irreplaceable. It's probably what Brendan Rodgers was talking about when they lost Suarez. You don't try and replace him. You just try and build up uh, the accumulation through the squad, which is certainly the way Suarez has, uh, the way Rodgers has tried to replace Suarez. Yeah. Hasn't quite worked out based on last night's... No, event. no, it really hasn't. Um, uh, and there's a lot of finger pointing going on now. Uh, suddenly, when you don't have the, you know, I, I honestly believe the best player in the world last season. I don't, I don't think even Ronaldo played better than him. Uh, and when you don't have him, uh, suddenly a lot of flaws which were hidden uh, are suddenly exposed rather starkly. And uh, I mean, I think it, it's it's it is it is the, the starkest example in. Uh, in football, certainly this year is you know of a team losing a, a really good player and not being able to cope. I, I mean, there's, I can't imagine there's even been that many instances like it. You know, where you got a guy at such a high level uh, who maybe was playing for a team, you know that, that was. You can see why he's why he's gone. You know, they weren't able to to hold on to him. I mean, in terms of how to replace him, I don't know if they've necessarily gone about it the best way. But this is something we're going to be talking about, and certainly in the football. What uh, else are we going to talk on. about in the football podcast later on, Ken? That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. Mr. Walker. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to now. I'm down Twanfield, and we'll see them. What you doing down here? You're showing man. Yeah, as I mentioned, we'll talk a bit about that. Uh, game last night in Basel. Richie Sadler will be in studio to talk through some of that and the issues. You know, how do you deal with that when uh, when uh, the, your best player leaves? How do you deal with a problem uh, as specific as Liverpool seem to be having where every time someone takes a set piece, it's like a, a magic, it's like a power play. You know what I mean? All their players suddenly have, have twice as much power and the ball comes into the box and uh, just is drawn into the net by this irresistible gravity. Um, what's What do you do? You know, do you get your centre half out in front of the squad, uh, make him stand in a bucket with his with his trousers around his ankles? Is is that an appropriate response to it? I'm not sure. Do you maybe cane him? You know, would, would corporal punishment work? You know, do you do you get do you get Steve Peters to talk to him? Do you get Steve Peters to talk to him about his inner chimp? Do you sit him down and show him videos of Phil Phil Jagielka? <laughs> you know, it's there's a, there's a number of different ways that you can approach the uh, the problem. So we'll talk to Richard about that. And we'll, we'll also talk to Tim Vickery about the fact that FIFA are banning third-party ownership, which is, uh, which is, I know third-party ownership is one of those phrases like... It's unsexy. Common agricultural policy or, you know, something like European Fisheries Board, which makes people immediately switch off their brains. I, I know I know, 70% of the people who are listening 10 seconds ago have stopped listening. Well, no, they haven't necessarily stopped, but they've thought, well, we can listen to this chat later on and just coast through it. Yeah, we don't really need to pay attention because it's it's about it's about third party ownership. Yeah, but the point is that this is about this this is a this is a it's about vampires. Vampires? Yeah, now I'm interested. Yeah, no, it is about vampires. Okay, essentially, uh, what you're talking about is there's a life force that flows within each one of us. You, you you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. The game, the game itself is no different. It's got a, it, it, there's a life force that animates it, you know. And it, the, but you know, isn't it infinite? Isn't it infinite, infinite force? 
Well, or is there, is there only a certain amount of it to go around? Well, well, it can't be infinite, I mean. No, no, it can't. Um, therefore, if some of it starts getting siphoned off into the uh, body yeah. of some kind of a, a blood-sucking vampire type thing, Does the vampire is that a good in? thing? Well, I mean, look, we're going to go through, we'll, we'll explain all. There's a lot of vampires, no werewolves in today's episode, <laughs> but there will be vampires. All right, so time now. There's your werewolf for today. Time now for you, Esper. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Brian Murphy, we're talking Derek Jeter today, if that's okay with you. <laughs> wow, uh, it's okay for uh, for me, for sure. I'm 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 up for it. I I kind of laugh because <clears throat> there was a, a prominent sports American commentator named Keith Olbermann, yeah, who's kind of famous for being a bit of a grouch, a bit of a cynic, a bit of a. Uh, he did a lot of political commentary during the 2000s um, uh, on George W. Bush and war, et cetera. But he had an anti-Jeter screed, a six-minute-long screed on his ESPN show. That was that's the only reason I'm chuckling is because he really took the whole Jeter story, which was in many ways very, uh, very memorable and very worth talking about, and uh, you know, a, a great uh, American athlete to comment on, and he just flushed it down the toilet with great vitriol and anger. Uh, about what he thought was too much made of Derek Jeter, which is the only reason why I'm chuckling. Other than that, happy two guys and happy to be back on and hope all is well over there. Yeah, all's great over here. I didn't realize there was any uh, any criticism, uh, per se, of Derek Jeter. Maybe just tell us, first of all, why there's so much talk about this guy. He was drafted back in 1992 for the New York Yankees, and he's been with them and has been their captain for most of the time since. Well, it starts with, you mentioned it right there, the New York Yankees. And that's where the story begins. Uh, there is no team in America that is more mythologized than the New York Yankees. And that means even in the, an era where the NFL has zoomed past Major League Baseball in popularity, the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers and the San Francisco 49ers and Green Bay Packers and Chicago Bears and, and now the New England Patriots, all the teams that have made great history, in the NFL don't come close to the history that the New York Yankees, not the Lakers and the Celtics in basketball, although those would be closer than some of those football teams, actually, uh, because of the amount of history. But the uh, the New York Yankees just occupy their own lore in American sports history, and, it, and it's a twofold reason. One, the amount of championships they've won, 27 championships, more than any American sports franchise has ever won. Uh, and that, of course, comes with it, all the legendary players, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, you name it. So they're kind of myth-makers on their own. And two, the name, of the, uh, the name of the city they play in, I believe, is New York City. I think I got that right. Yeah, uh-huh, the center of everything in America when it comes to media. So it starts that Derek Jeter was drafted by the New York Yankees. And when you're a Yankee, you're way ahead of the curve to begin with when it comes to public consciousness and public awareness. And when you're a Yankee who did what Derek Jeter did, which is to win five World Series championships, five of those 27 were won by Derek Jeter teams, teams he was on, including guys 
four of his first five full years in the big leagues. And by that point, the year 2000, he was only about 27 years old then. And by then, he was already a legend. The fact that he added one in 2009 makes him one of the iconic Yankees of all time. Five-time World Series champ. Shortstop, vital position in baseball, about as vital as pitcher or catcher is shortstop, kind of the quarterback of the infield. And not only that, the persona he crafted uh, happened to be in this era of uh, 24-7 social media, in this era of arrests and, and police blotters, in this era of steroids and drug scandals, Derek Jeter avoided it all. Not a single scandal in 20 years in the public eye in New York City, no less. So you throw in clean persona, you throw in five championships, you throw in shortstop, and then you throw in the New York Yankees, and you've got basically, if you had, if you had to have a scientist in a lab crafting a, a wholesome hero in American sports, that's, those are the ingredients you would put yeah. in. Yeah, no, that's a great description. And the big piece I read on this was by J.R. Moringer, the Pulitzer Prize winning author who wrote Andrew Agassi's autobiography, which goes down as many people's, certainly one of the best sports autobiographies written. Now, he wrote a really long feature piece. And he, a big play he made was on the point you made there, Brian, about how this guy, without being any sort of a recluse or anything like that, he's gone out with beautiful women, he's done all that kind of thing, he's lived a bit of the New York lifestyle, but he's managed to stay fairly blemish-free. I mean, this guy, in a lot of ways, sounds like Ryan Giggs, the great Manchester United player, who, uh, a similar long uh, career, similarly decorated, even more Premier League, a lot more Premier League titles, and everyone thought he was squeaky clean until it turned out that he was sleeping with his brother's wife. Uh-oh. Now, <laughs> now I'm, not, I'm clearly, and for, uh, and in case any of the Irish Times legal people are listening here, I'm not, I'm not saying anything like that is happening uh, with this guy, but <laughs> is he too good to be true? He sounds I so squeaky clean. I about Giggsy. That's yeah, incredible. Yeah. That's classic, because I did see somebody on Twitter last week who was a, a uh, a fan of both um, uh, European soccer and American baseball said uh, somebody needs to get a picture of Jeter and Ryan Giggs together. And I thought, huh, I didn't know Giggs he had that. And now you tell me he has a little scandal to him. Uh, well, is he too good to be true? Isn't yeah, that a that's great question? question? Yeah. I mean, that's the question, right? And and, and it, what's funny is that we found out most most everything we found out. If it's too good to be true, it generally is too good to be true, right? If Barry Bonds is hitting 73 home runs in a season, wow, that's amazing. That's, in, that's impossible to believe. Well, yeah, it was, because it turns out he was pumped up with every chemical you know, known to man. So, you know, Lance Armstrong, oh, my God, the greatest cyclist who ever lived. He swears he would never come close to using or doping, and he would take on any... Anybody who dares accuse him, oh, it turns out he was doping even more than Bonds, right? So, I mean, we live in this era of, yeah, it is, if it is too good to be true, it is too good to be true, so it's usually not true. So far, guys, I'm not telling you that Derek Jeter is too good to be true, but I'm telling you that he's navigated the waters thus far. And I'll tell you one big thing he did, and this gets off the field into his personal images, he never got married. And that was probably one of his critically positive moves. Look what happened to Tiger Woods. You know, and you get into Puritan, Puritanical American, I, I, we've talked about this before, the Pilgrims screwed up this country in the 1600s when they landed here with their, you know, Middle Ages uh, views of human sexuality and morality. And, uh, you know, any, any guy who ever commits uh, any kind of mistake in his personal life is stoned to death, right? And we still carry that in 2014 in some vestiges, unfortunately. So Tiger Woods really, you know, didn't commit a crime, but he cheated on his wife extensively, so we all think of him totally differently now. 
Well, Derek Jeter never made that mistake. He stayed single. And so that was a huge part of it because he would be viewed, obviously, as a, you know, a womanizer or something like that. Now, you know, we're living in this era where just in the last couple of weeks on this show, we've talked about domestic violence. We've talked about child abuse with the NFL stars. Derek Jeter's not even close to any of that stuff. So, so we're talking about not even, you know, Michael Phelps just got popped for a DUI here in America, the Olympic swim legend. And so, you know, that's something a lot of people make that mistake. Even people you work with in everyday life make that mistake. But not Derek Jeter. Always smart enough to have a, a driver. Always smart, to have a, smart enough to have a town car so he's not going to get caught driving under the influence. Always smart enough to stay single so that his incredible roster of female conquests is actually, if you want a kind of a funny part of the Jeter legacy is ESPN even, which doesn't even usually kind of delve into this kind of gossip, actually made a, an all-star baseball team of his nine most uh, tremendous female conquests, uh, whether it's Scarlett Johansson or Minka Kelly or all the other ones, and they put them at different positions, like Scarlett Johansson at third base and Minka Kelly at shortstop and all the other ones. So it's called Jeter's All-Star Team. And he was able to... Uh, to ca- carry on his arm all these wonderfully beautiful and famous w- and and sexy women without anybody complaining other than to say wow uh, that you know Jeter was able to pull that off so that's the off the field stuff and then of course on the field you know guys want to come down to it only five players in the history of baseball which is baseball's best quality it's history only five players in the history of the game which goes back to 1870 have more hits than Derek Jeter so i mean he he stands alone in many ways yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing, but let's stick with the off-field here because you're, you're suggesting that he had an almost perfect record. It's not completely perfect. Um, I've read that in December 2002, he stayed out until 3 a.m. at a birthday party, um, which caused <laughs> That's wild. George Steinbrenner, uh, the owner of the Yankees at that, that time, to, to criticize him in, in, in really harsh terms. He said, Jeter was not, isn't totally focused. This doesn't sit well with me. And uh, years later, they managed to, to turn this into a money-spinning visa commercial, so they both enjoyed a massive payday out of it. Yeah, it's a true story. And more, that, Ken, would be more about Steinbrenner than about Jeter. George Steinbrenner, who we, you know, we've talked about this. There are a couple of iconic owners in American history that really were just stood alone. And, and Al Davis of the Raiders, of course, was one of them with his incredibly iconic personality, the rebel who would never never accept anything conformist and and then George Steinbrenner who was maybe the you know she Seinfeld did such a great job of lampooning his if you want if you had to craft a you know a billionaire american buffoon who all he wants is to win and not understand kind of just really how to get along with people under any circumstance Steinbrenner was that guy and all those all those Seinfeldian uh, bits about Steinbrenner were actually closer to the truth than you realize and so for him to criticize Jeter like that I think most people that Steinbrenner was being uh, crazy but that was Steinbrenner any chance he got to maybe light a fire under his players or you know maybe just sharpen them a little bit or piss them off a little bit. He took that chance, and yeah, then they did wind up, of course, making a visa ad about it later on. I forget the exact uh, verbiage of the commercial, but it was something about them meeting in the office and agreeing that, you know, Jeter wouldn't stay out late, or they couldn't agree on everything, but they would agree to use visa or something like that. (laughs) Sounds about right, yeah. (laughs) What's Keith Olderman's uh, beef with the whole thing then? You said that he's the one guy who's really had it in. Is he just a bit sick of the, I don't know, that it's it's all gotten a little bit too much of a love-in for Olderman? 
No question. That I would say that's number one, and and I think he has a, a certain point. He has a, he has a point there. There you do reach a certain point where it, it did become Saint Derek, you know, like the guy literally, you know, could could make the the crippled walk. You know, I mean, it really it really felt that way to a certain point. And that's a function of New York, and that's a function of ESPN. And we've talked about this through the years about how ESPN has been a blessing and a curse. We love coverage. Uh, 24-7, 365, but as a result, the Brett Favres of the world and the LeBron Jameses of the world get so forced down your throat, you begin to resent them more than enjoy them. And I think they did a little bit of that with Derek Jeter. I don't think they reached LeBron or Favre-type status uh, in their prime, but they did for, for Olbermann, and it's a twofold thing for people. And, and, and Olbermann represents a, a, a faction of the, of the people out there who thought, one, enough with the St. Derek. And two, if you actually look at his career statistically, he does not measure up to the great Yankees like Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle and Lou Gehrig and Joe DiMaggio, not by a long shot. He really was essentially just a singles hitter. And those guys were home run hitters. And, you know, baseball's all about the big home run and the big, you know, the big clear the fence like Babe Ruth and like Mantle and DiMaggio and all those guys. And also, there's actually, and this gets into the new aspect of baseball, and I don't know how much this plays over into European football and soccer and all that, but the saber, the, the, the advanced analytics that have entered the game that have tried to change how we view the games, you know, and, and there are now advanced analytics that showed that Derek Jeter, as a shortstop, was actually quite average to below average. And now, when you watched him out on the field, you thought, oh, look how smooth he is, he's making this play. But the advanced analytics people said, well, gosh, that's a ball he should have gotten to, or he should have, uh, he should have made that play, or should have made that play, whereas you thought it was just a base hit, the advanced analytics people showed that other shortstops would have made that play. So Obermann was armed with kind of a threefold argument. One, enough with St. Derek. It's making me sick. Two, if you want to compare him to the other great Yankees like Ruth, Garrig, Mantle, DiMaggio, he doesn't hold a candle to those guys because those guys were great home run hitters and he was not. And three, defensively at shortstop, the analytics show that he actually wasn't even uh, one of the best of his time. So, I mean, does he have a point to a certain degree? Kind of analyzing Jeter through analytics kind of misses the point of Jeter. And that gets gets to the heart of so many sports arguments, which is, can you enjoy a guy just to enjoy a guy, or should you enjoy a guy based on the analytics? So that's kind of where we're at now in 2014. One of the other areas, Brian, that he wasn't brilliant in by his own admission and quite deliberately was communicating with the media. And we've been talking about this at the start of the show. His next plan is to go into a new media venture, the Players' Tribune, he's calling it, where essentially he says, listen, we don't really need journalists anyway. I mean, what, what, what They come around with their big bellies and their tiny notebooks and they want some quotes after the game. We can just give those quotes as players. We get together. We find ways of communicating directly with the public as is done these days. Are you as worried about myself and Ken here about our our, uh, our future career prospects? Yeah, I mean, God, come on, Jeets. Talk about biting the hand that feeds, right? For 20 years, we craft this guy into the... Uh the the holy the holy shortstop of all holy shortstops. Now he's saying he doesn't need us. That's a little uh, that's a little ungrateful, I would say. So uh, I think actually I saw this morning as we're talking that uh, I think I did see some things on the internet. Some people saying, "Wait a minute, you spent 20 years saying no comment to reporters, and now you're going to turn around and try to give you know encourage guys to give comments to your you know business endeavor." So that I think is worthy of criticism. I mean, as we said. 
you know, at the start a few minutes ago, too good to be true, right? I mean, so, you know, he keeps, you stick around long enough in the public eye, you're going to start getting some slings and arrows, but especially if you're talking me, a media guy, talking to you guys, a media guy, we don't want to hear from Derek Jeter that he doesn't need the media after the media made him into a gosh darn saint for the last 20 years, right? So uh, that is, uh, he's definitely going to get some criticism for that and, and probably deserve it. He, uh, you know, he should probably appreciate the, 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 uh, the, the, the machine that creates these, these salaries that they get and the machine that creates the, uh, the identities and personas that these guys live off of for the rest of their lives. So it'll be interesting to see how he, how he handles this going forward. Brian, I know you've got to push on there, but just to, before before you go, just to touch on a couple of the things we talked about last week. One of them is the Ryder Cup. Uh, unfortunately, your boys didn't quite do it. <laughs> the massive split in the camp. Uh, so, a quick Ricky Fowler did not. No. Breaking news: He did not score the winning point. Uh, yeah, and a quick comment on <laughs> Phil Mickelson there uh, landing. Uh, well, Tom Watson. boy, you got boy. I tell you what, juicy. We could have done a whole show on that too, and we can still if you want to in the future, but. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was qu- questionably uh, questionable timing by Phil in the sense of respect for Tom Watson, whose career probably deserves a little more respect than Phil showed it with that passive aggressive burn. However, I will say two things in Phil's defense. One, we always want our athletes to be. We just talked about this with Jeter. We want our athletes to be honest, right? Mm. We want. We get bored when they say no comment or it is what it is, right? Uh, so he. He was honest, so we got to give him that. You know, he was honest. And the other thing I would say this is that the U.S. Ryder Cup situation is so screwed up as far as the PGA of America and how they choose their captains and whether or not they form the best teams that I think what Phil did was he brought all of our woes to a boil, and they needed to come to a boil. It's almost like when you, you know, have a fight with a coworker or something or a fight inside the clubhouse of a team where it's like things just, you know what, was it classless? Probably to Tom Watson. Could it have been accomplished maybe a week later by talking to some golf media? Probably. But did he maximize the attention and exposure for an issue that needs to be addressed if the U.S. ever wants to win the stinking Ryder Cup ever again? Uh, Yes, he did. So I'm going to give him, you know, I would say maybe, you know, you don't like how the sausage was made, but he, he needed to make the sausage and call out the U.S. team, the U.S. process, and what the hell's going on because, uh, it's getting a little old, guys. I'd like to win one. The other point I wanted to raise, and we don't even need any response from you, really. We're just patting ourselves on the back here, Brian, for tipping you off to Patrick Murray, the kicker, <laughs> uh, the Irish-American kicker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who nailed a 50-yarder last week, a couple of kicks to help his team beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. How about that? And I just told you that the Buccaneers were coming off that in, uh, incredibly embarrassing loss, right, on that Thursday night. And then you guys had him on, and you won. They call that... Uh, they call that particles, right? Or mojo. You guys created the uh, created the positive energy. So Tampa Bay owes you one, and I'll keep an eye on that guy. He's now my uh, he's my new favorite kicker, guys. Yeah, they're away to the New Orleans Saints this weekend, and I know Drew Brees is a big fan of this podcast, so I'm sure he's pretty worried well, now sure that they're he is. yeah. He's listen. a man of he's a man of exquisite taste. <laughs> yeah. Brian, take care and thanks so much. Great as ever. All the best, guys. Take care. Hairdryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a furious blast of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. Other than he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. 
I have just had a, another glance at that Moringer piece, which we'll tweet on later on. And uh, there are a couple more controversies, Ken. Yeah. Um, this is uh, this is the all that Mo- that Moringer could uh, dig up here. The most salacious Jeter headlines in the morning tabs: the Jeffrey Meyer interference, which unfairly gave Jeter a home run in the nineteen ninety six playoffs. <laughs> the revelation in inverted comments from an unnamed source that Jeter gives swag bags to women who overnight at his apartment. Um, swag bags? What, is that... I don't... Uh, like, a, like a gift bag with some... With like, some well, well done. You know, like you, key you, ring. Congratulations, you've stayed the night at Derek Jeter's house. Here's a bag of free stuff. Here's yeah. some Derek Jeter memorabilia to take home. A signed <laughs> photograph of Derek Jeter. I, I don't know. I, I mean... It's a strange in, in a way, it's a nice gesture, but... It, in a way, it's not. <laughs> you know, there, there might be, some people might take that the wrong way, all right. But, I, you know, I suppose at the end, everybody likes a swag bag. You know, if you walk away from somewhere holding a bag full of free gifts, do you ever feel worse than you would have without the bag of free gifts? Mm. Well, I don't know. I've never, I've never been in I've never spent the night at Derek Jeter's house. So I I've never know. been given a gift bag in exactly that situation. It's usually on arrival at some type of event, you get it, as, as opposed to when you're, when you're leaving on a sort of a... A walk of shame. And the, the contentious, the last one, his last contract, uh, his last issue, is the contract negotiations, which were contentious with the Yankees in 2010, after which Jeter proclaimed, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't angry. So that's it. Oh, those yeah, are yeah. the Jeter. For now, those are the Jeter controversies. That's... Um, oh, no, this, this is all going to be very different. I'm looking forward to the playerstribune.com. Yeah. That's the, uh, that's well, you might be looking forward to it, Cam, but hopefully we've proven today, somehow... Maybe there's just a, to, we've advanced the cause of the sports media. You guys listening, you, you, you need us, right? Come on, give old, <laughs> give old Gil a break here. You need, you need us. Check yeah. out our website, secondcaptains.com, and have a listen to the Irish Times Second Captains Football Podcast a little bit later on. Thanks very much for listening to us on this show. It's been great. Thank you. Cheers again. Uh, thank you too, Aaron. We'll chat to you soon. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 